fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about the country of Finland with my friend Vienno. Finally. We're finally getting to to my people. That That is true. I, I also found it somewhat ironic that uh, you, you are going to be going on vacation there uh, soon. Yeah, a little less than a month. Yeah, so it's... <laughs> It's just, I found it weird that this was, it, because you had just told me recently, and then all of a sudden, now we're just going to spend uh, most of this episode talking about Finland, so that's how it goes. Listen, I go to a country, they join NATO, what can I do? <laughs> <laughs> but how are you, Vienna? It's, it's the curse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm okay, yeah. Nothing, like, new and exciting. There was a major storm, uh, yep. and we were just chatting about that. Um, you know, we have power at least. Um, sounds like a few hundred thousand other people in Ontario and Quebec still don't, but, um, we're good. So really everything's fine. It doesn't matter. I almost feel bad because I think if, if not last episode, two episodes ago, I was like, I can't wait for like an epic thunderstorm. Like, a <laughs> yeah, I think that was like, yeah, we recorded that four days ago. <laughs> So, uh, uh, it's my fault. Uh, I'm sorry, Ontario. <laughs> but uh, Jody is taking responsibility for the storm <laughs> that caused multiple deaths. Uh, yeah, but it, it was, you know, aside from the deaths and the, the damage, it was, uh, it was what I wanted. I enjoyed it. <laughs> it's pretty my, cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, weather, weather is fun. Uh, it's frightening, but also fun. So we got a laser show, you know. A free laser show. What what more could you want, you know? Yeah. I I still really want to get hit by lightning and have, like, those really <laughs> cool lightning scars. <laughs> they look so great. Like, <laughs> Oh, dear Lord. Uh, I personally would not recommend getting hit by lightning. <laughs> well, the <laughs> other thing, me. too, is, like, if you get hit by it and you don't live, that's a very f- quick and fast way to go. Like... You're just fried. It's done. <laughs> true. True. Well, uh, you know, uh, this one has passed, but, you know, maybe take Fiano's advice next, Storm, and, and run out there and uh, have have a good time, you know? <laughs> this was not advice to the listener. This was personal opinion on my own actions. <laughs> I just uh, want to be clear. <laughs> on that note, we uh, this episode, uh, you know... It's it's going to be all over the place like the last episode, but we will spend a bit more time on Finland. So uh, without further ado, I guess, you know, I've also realized this. I haven't quite figured out how to do this segue portion of the show, and it's been awkward as hell. But then I'm like, maybe that's part of our branding strategy, much like, uh, you know, Robert Evans just goes at the beginning of every Behind the Bastard show because he doesn't know how to do his podcast either. So. If anything, the awkwardness is a part of the appeal, you know? <laughs> sure. I have a very easy transition, though. Hey, Vienna, you're going to Finland. Whoa. You know who else wants to talk about Finnish stuff? Our friend Ezra Levant. Vienna, friends with Ezra Levant. You heard it here <laughs> first. <laughs> 
Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So we are covering the week of May 16th to May 20th. And as we've already mentioned, Ezra wants to talk about Finland. His main contention is a weird one. It seems to be that if you don't want to send troops to fight Russia in Ukraine, uh, and the U here is Canada, why would we want to send troops to uh, Finland to to fight Russia? Uh, and therefore, <laughs> Finland should not be a part of NATO, according to Ezra. Yeah. <laughs> one, Finland does not have any deals to build bases or host troops for NATO. Even after they join, that will be a separate negotiation that they probably don't want, because that's also been one of the reasons why it's taken so long for them to join, beyond just like the general, hey, Russia's literally right next to us, and we have fought wars with them in the past century. Um, and like, NATO prior to this war was hugely unpopular in Finland. And now it's kind of a like, ah, oh, fuck, I guess we got to do this, huh? Like, yeah, I, I don't get the impression that they want to. It's out of necessity, given like world politics to a certain degree, you know, or maybe necessity is a bit of a stronger phrase, but it's just like, you know, there is a reason why they're doing this. It's, it, it didn't completely come out of nowhere, you know? Uh, yeah. But we will we will hear from Ezra. So I have here him explaining it in his own words, and uh, it's just as absurd as I made it sound, I think. If we will not send troops to assist Ukraine because we don't want to be drawn into a war with a nuclear-armed Russia, why would we agree to give Finland that power, that status? Why would we agree to fight in Finland against Russia? Ukraine is a sizable country, over 40 million people. Finland is just five and a half million people, but it shares an 830-mile-long border with Russia. How on earth could that possibly be defended? Well, Finland has fought back before, including when Russia invaded them in 1939. Maybe they could hold them out again in a winter war. Could be. Do you want to be the one to send in Canadian troops to try? The weird thing is, like, Part of me is like the, the the deterrent aspect like is like missing from what Ezra's talking about here, where it's like I like I almost feel like if Russia is so if Finland becomes a part of NATO, Russia invades Finland for whatever reason, thus meeting the threshold that he's talking about that we would send troops. I'm pretty sure the world's already fucked at that point. Like, <laughs> you know, that yeah. would be World War Three. I don't think we're sending troops. <laughs> You know? The second, like, a NATO country gets invaded, that's Article 5, and that's game over for probably not humanity, I'll be honest, but at least, like, you know, North America, Europe, and, like, Asia. Yeah, so it's like, I I, I just find it, like, weird, because it's like, that did... It, it, the difference being is that Ukraine was not a member of NATO, so the the thinking is... 
whether it's correct or not, that like NATO will serve as some kind of deterrent because so far Russia has not directly done to a NATO country what they're currently doing to Ukraine. Yeah. Right? And so it's like that's that's the thinking. But it's like for some reason that's like completely left off any of his analysis of the situation. Yeah, and it's also like on your note about like, yeah, if Russia's invading Finland, then like, yeah, it's a little bit too late to be sending troops. One, Finland has the largest reserve army in Europe by so much because they still have conscription. Two, there are other NATO countries all there that Canadian troops are already in. Like, if the war is happening, the Canadian troops are already in NATO member states. That's... Yep. (laughs) They're not going to do anything at that point. Like... They're already there. What What are you talking about? Yeah, we will. Yeah, I mean, this gets even more complicated, but we will get into more of like troop placements and stuff like this. But first, Ezra's going to argue that Finland joining NATO is a, an act of aggression against Russia. When you say this isn't targeted at anyone, I feel like you're being deceptive right away. The whole point of NATO was always to keep out Russia. So are we going to build a, a NATO airbase there in Finland? Can I ask you, what would the West do if, say, Russia deployed modern missiles right next to a Western NATO country? I'll say if Russia put nuclear missiles in Cuba. Of course, there's no need to guess. President John F. Kennedy embargoed the island and said he would destroy any such missiles. Thank God Khrushchev blinked. So, so we're doing that. We're surrounding Russia with NATO. Finland says it's to defend themselves. Yeah, well, it could be. But isn't joining NATO pretty much the biggest provocation to Russia? You could imagine exactly the sort of militarization that Russia said convinced it to attack Ukraine. Now, I am not saying that that is a legitimate reason for Russia to attack, but it was their stated reason. And so Finland is saying, hey, let's have some of that action over here. And then Canada is saying, yeah, we'll take some of that action, too. I find this line of argument like weird like there is some sense and i think we've had some back and forth like off the air about this to a certain degree but there is some sense that yes like the close proximity uh can at least make russia uneasy even if like whether it's used as a direct provocation or not and yet as soon as the invasion happened i think the first thing I that came out of my mouth is this is just going to make NATO a more popular or appealing thing to join because it shows that if you're a part of it, you're probably less likely to be invaded. But then, mm. then the question of provocation here is just weird because it's like, what's what provoked Finland from wanting to join NATO? Yeah, what changed <laughs> Finland's 75-year opposition to joining nato hmm i wonder what major world event could have altered that opinion so it's you know like, when the ruling party for again 75 years has held the position of not joining nato hmm so it's very weird when like when the invasion of ukraine first happened ezra was on the surprisingly on the side of ukraine when you compare him to the rest of the right wing like ecosphere right but then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden now he's like 
No, you see, if Finland joins NATO now, now NATO's being the aggressor. It's being the the provocative one, where it's like, that is such a weird take to have now. That is almost like, like he's becoming pro-Russian, right? <laughs> like, or at least pro-Russian in this military conflict. I, yeah. That's a little it's, too general about the populace, but like, yeah. It's very weird, because like... You know, at least with the Ukraine argument of, like, you know, provocation or whatever, it's like, yeah, that was both sides bluffing and hoping the other one would blink, and then Russia didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas, like, with Finland, it's like, Finland and Sweden are, like, actively making moves towards it themselves, and everybody else is just kind of like, yeah, sure, I guess. Like, you know, come on. Except for Turkey. Turkey's not happy. But, yeah, it is very weird. And then, like, to pretend, like, to pretend that Finland and Ukraine are the same is also silly. Like, the whole invasion of Ukraine was only possible because Russia saw Ukraine as weak and divided when... It largely wasn't, but it did have the appearance of that, whereas Finland doesn't have that. And it's a, like, quite stable country and, like, you know. It's it's also sort of taking at face value why Russia invaded Ukraine. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like they wouldn't have worries in the same way America was worried about Cuba in what Ezra highlighted here. Like, I'm sure a lot of that was playing out. But, like, even if Ukraine were to join NATO, like, I, I don't think there was going to be, like, a direct military, con- like, conflict orchestrated by NATO against Russia in that instance, right? So it's like, even using that, like, I really don't think that's the reason why they invaded, even though that does sort of, like, function in the background, right? It yeah. Like, there was probably other reasons, like material reasons or resource reasons for, for wanting uh, this war or territorial expansionist reasons, you know? Uh, it, it wasn't just because of the presence of NATO, you know? And, like, that's going to have to be worked out historically. Like, I don't I don't spend enough yeah. time researching it either to know what exactly uh, those, like, which one played the biggest role or whatever. But, like, it's definitely not just because of NATO for why they did it. The real takeaway from this is Ezra Levant pro-Castro moments. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we said this last, uh, I think it was last episode as well about the Cuba thing where it's like, I don't know, maybe it was bad that America did that to Cuba as well, you know? like. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but not only that, like, his description here was weird, like the the Khrushchev blinking or whatever, like, I, like his analysis of what happened during the Cuban Missile Crisis is just like, so surface level and kind of confusing that I almost felt like not going into it, but like, it wasn't quite like that. <laughs> All I know is that Che Guevara was so pissed that they didn't get those nukes because he wanted to use them. He wanted the war yeah. to happen. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that actually. Are, yeah, <laughs> like he was. That was one of the reasons why, like. Castro's like, okay, go fight in, like, Angola and Bolivia and wherever. Like, yeah, come, come dude, you cannot be... <laughs> you cannot be on the political sphere anymore. I'm sorry, bud. That's that's wild. I don't, like... Yeah. 
it's very interesting the extent there was a great documentary uh podcast called blowback that did uh, a whole series on this and so i recommend if you want any information on the cuban missile crisis uh don't get it from ezra go check out that podcast instead so then uh moving on with our sort of like where ezra's taking us he complains <laughs> so not only, so he thinks it's a provocation he doesn't think uh canada should get involved all this and then he's like uh well why why didn't finland send any troops to ukraine you know <laughs> russia and finland have fought against each other for centuries by the way sweden too which has also said it wants to join nato uh both uh, countries have very small armies uh, I think it's learning all the wrong lessons from Ukraine. I think it's a bad idea by Finland, but I think it's an insane idea for Canada. If Canada is not going to fight in Ukraine, for the obvious reason that we don't want to get into a war with Russia, why? what's different in Finland? And why does Finland expect us to send Canadian troops to defend them from Russia? They aren't sending Finnish troops to help Ukraine. So, Vienna, why... Did Finland not send troops to Ukraine? <laughs> Good question, Jody. He's such. Why like... isn't everybody sent troops to Ukraine? You know, like, like, why don't we go to Ukraine right now? I just, I love, like, it's so. I can't believe anyone listening to this will go, oh, man, Ezra really knows what he's talking about here. Like, everyone knows the reason why we're not militarily engaged in, in Ukraine. And let me tell you, I think the Canadian government would love to be militarily engaged in Ukraine. The reason why you can't is because, hey, guess what? It's a nuclear power. And if you put troops on the ground, now you're at war with a nuclear power. And that's why it hasn't happened. And so the reason, again, the whole thing here is that nato the reason why finland or sweden or any of these countries want to join nato is a deterrent factor it has nothing to do with like uh, as if we're going to send troops there or any of the weird shit that ezra is talking about right now uh but it's just his analysis is so weak and and i feel like the reason why i want to focus so much on this is like the weakness of the analysis seems to come from a place that's pro-russian when he was initially so pro-Ukraine that it's like whiplash almost. It's almost like what he did during the pandemic where he initially came out where like the pandemic, it's super uh, real, it's devastating, it was created by China and it's going to destroy us. And then he was like, that's ah, not that bad. And really, it's just our government trying to control us by having lockdowns, you know? Yeah. And so it's like amazing where he comes out with these initial stances that seem so strong and he's willing to just like, bend almost immediately once uh other people he's aligned with start disagreeing with him i um he just he said that finland has a like very small army and like in terms of active personnel sure which it is a well, country because of, it's a small country so it is a country of five and a half million people with a reserve personnel number of nine hundred thousand. So like one fifth the population, <laughs> yeah, in the military, yeah, is able to just be called up and given guns and then ready to go. Like that is huge for Europe. Yeah, I mean, granted, like, so I, you're, they should send troops to Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> they have them to spare. Oh my god! 
So then Ezra complains uh, that there is no Canadian interest in Finland and that supporting Finland to join NATO will actually cause Russia to attack Canada. And like that in itself is like such a silly argument because again, the the reason why you would like whether you think joining NATO is good, not etc. Like the reason why the, Canada would want to support it is not because like our direct interest is in it in terms of like resources or whatever. Like maybe military contract stuff, but like the direct interest is like wanting to prevent a country from being invaded. Like at least like that's the impression I get unless there's some sort of like backroom dealing where they're like trying to get military stuff. But I don't know. I don't know how well stocked Finland's uh, armaments are, <laughs> but I just like, I, like, I don't know. Couldn't, couldn't there be noble, somewhat noble interests? Like I personally don't want Russia to invade Finland either, <laughs> to be honest, you know, mm. even though it doesn't directly affect my interests beyond like, I don't know. World war three seems bad. No, I think Canada wants war with, fin- with Russia. I think Melanie Jolie and Justin Trudeau <laughs> are just ready to go. <laughs> Krista Freeland's just like she's already got her boxing gloves on. Over Finland, though, I think they they more want it over Ukraine. No, but they want Finnish reserve army. Like they want to send <laughs> oh, the so Finns to die. So they want the die. friends to yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I mean, but speaking of sending uh, uh people to die, we uh, it's going to come up in this clip. But not only does it come up in this clip, this is this is a longer clip, but I feel like I need to play it in full. Because this is, this is just some weird ass misogyny coming out of Ezra's mouth here. So, uh, and uh, I'm I'm guessing you could probably figure out uh, where it's heading, uh, considering who the leader of Finland is. But uh, here we go. Oh look, Finland's uh, prime minister. She's so hip. She's part of the World Economic Forum. They love wars over there. Wars are big profits for oligarchs, for arms dealers, for the World Economic Forum. She reminds me their prime minister, uh, Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand prime minister, also World Economic Forum uh, graduate. Here she is bragging uh, at the World Economic Forum about how feminist uh, Finland is, which is pretty exciting. We have uh, so many young women in power. We have actually a five-party coalition government, and each party have a women leader in charge, and four of us are under 35 years old, and one of us uh, is uh, over 50 year old. So we do have uh, different generations uh, in, in the government. And of course, it looks uh, different than that we are used to. But I hope that in the future, it doesn't get as much attention because it should be uh, also seen as normal, that we have different generations, different uh, genders in power to making decisions. Because uh, if we look at the population, there are different genders. There are different uh, generations, so we need people from all backgrounds. Very feminist, very Trudeau-like, very unserious, like Trudeau. Here's a story you can Google it. I chose the Washington Post version. Finland's prime minister apologizes after partying all night despite coronavirus exposure. She's very young and hip and cool, very feminist. Coronavirus, war, whatever. She just wants to hit the clubs, but she wants... Canadian soldiers to bail her out and her country. She wants us to be her insurance policy while she goes to party and all that feminist stuff. I don't think it's real. I think she wants Canadian men 
that's most of our soldiers and the airmen and sailors. She wants our men to save her and her country from her childishness and unseriousness. I, I say, no thanks, lady, but but good luck. What the fuck? <laughs> that was such a weird direction for that to go. Right? She wants our... Like, I'm just like, one, like, in the same way that, like, in his mind, Trudeau is feminist and unserious. Like, does that imply that, like, the, the Finnish troops are not... Like, if the Canadian troops can be still manly and be able to save women... Couldn't the Finnish troops, even though they have a feminist and serious person, like how does how does the transitive properties of the leader sip <laughs> down to like the military, you know? Just none I of, don't like, know, but that's my cat girl prime minister. Yeah. <laughs> I just and of course he has to bring up New Zealand as well. Like it's just and of course it's like women leaders. That's all that's going on here. Like he's a It's women leaders of social democratic movements that are like actively trying to make their countries like a more habitable place to live frightening yeah i know so scary also it's very funny because it's like my dad's side is finished my mom's from new zealand so it's like i got both of them <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah I, it's just really silly i mean like and also uh again he he even had to catch himself where it's like our military is not just men uh, <laughs> but like, I don't know why they're, they're hyperfixation on, like, masculine men doing manly masculine things when, like, most wars fought with missiles now, like, behind a desk. Like, I'm sorry. But... Also, also, like, who the fuck is asking for Canadian troops? No. Like, <laughs> who is out there being like, we want the Canadians. We want them. Finland. Finland's doing it, you know? No. Yeah, no. They're that's the like, whole NATO. They they want Canada in there to to be like, hey, Putin, hey, and then fight the the Ruskies. That's what's going on. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. We're gonna have Bob and Doug McKenzie on the battlefield. They'll be like, take off, eh, you hoser Ruskies. <laughs> They're just gonna send like half the city of Sault Ste. Marie and Thunder Bay up to yeah. Finland. And just- <laughs> They'll arrive and just be like, "Oh, this is exactly the same as home." <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, I was gonna, I was gonna make some sort of cold joke. Well, at least we'll be prepared for the cold weather, you know. The other thing too is like, there's a lot of Finnish Canadians, so you know, it's the ancestral homeland. <laughs> <laughs> it's called decolonization, Jody. <laughs> <laughs> just going back home. Yeah, no, true. Yeah. So that's all we got on Finland. Uh, I just thought it was worth going into because of how weird all of that was you know yeah and how just like inept the analysis was just like completely surface level and completely stupid so uh just worth uh worth going through that but uh now now we get to some more weird stuff because in the interview segment on the monday episode ezra talks to this blogger dude who's been on the show before spencer fernando he's usually boring and we almost never like address the things they talk about uh, and even this one, most of it was, like, really lame. It, the, the whole, ep, like, interview was pretty much about how Pierre uh, Polievre is, like, so amazing and is going to be a great leader when he wins, inevitably, because he's going to win and uh, he's going to become the conservative leader and all that. So that's that's pretty much the whole thing. But at one point, Ezra asks a question. 
and it involves sort of uh, it's adjacent to uh, what happened in Buffalo the preceding weekend to when this episode was recorded. And so we talked about this last episode, wondering if they were even going to cover this. And so this is the only mention of what happened in Buffalo on the show this week. So therefore, I think it's worth uh, just looking at it. But again, so it's in the form of a question. And then we'll hear Spencer's answer after we discuss Ezra's question. Because the question itself is a little bit weird. So here it is. You know, I see this morning Michelle Rempel... Uh, from downtown Calgary, put out a very emotional, I'm going to call it a rant. Um, and, and it was based on the shooting in Buffalo. And it was in, it, I, it seemed to me, because it was so unconnected to anything in Calgary, so unconnected from anything in Canada, it seemed that it was an opportunistic attempt to, I think, blame uh, Pierre Polyev for somehow sympathizing with Populists. I don't know. It was very strange, but it was the language and it was very extreme and very Trudeau-like. And, and Jean Charest has used similar language saying that um, Pierre Polyev has disqualified himself. What's going to happen to all these bomb throwers, like, met metaphorically speaking, who are using such sharp attack language? Do you expect, like, I, I think it's pretty clear Jean Charest is not going to run if he doesn't win. Um, do you expect other MPs like Michelle Rempel to quit and become independents or even defect to the Liberals? I think there's a fair chance Michelle Rempel, if if Pierre Polyev wins the leadership, that she's going to defect, become a Liberal, and become a Liberal cabinet minister for Calgary. That's my that's my prognostication. So that's that's his only take on the shooting in Buffalo. Is that how will this affect? Uh, Polyevra in his leadership race and will Michelle Rempel defect if Pierre becomes the uh, the leader and like even the language throughout the piece is uh, like the question is super weird like him like talking about Michelle Rempel's words as like bomb throwing metaphorically speaking but even like if you listen back to it like when he mentions like the Buffalo shooting he sounds so oh the, the buffalo shooting like almost like dismissive, dismissive it's like yeah i don't know but like you know a white nationalist killed a bunch of people uh specifically because they were black and he targeted that area because they were black uh black people and and then and then the thing is of course this is never going to come up i don't know for a fact i haven't unlike a lot of journalists out there i haven't like tr like gone through uh the manifesto to figure out exactly where all the bits of information he's got but he the shooter did have support for the shooting that happened in christchurch in new zealand and that mm. shooter watched rebel news content and that shooter uh quoted as influenced the quebec mosque shooter who also uh consumed rebel news content so it's like for him, for this asshole to then fucking go on his show and say that what happened in Buffalo has absolutely nothing to do with Canada. Fuck you, bud. Like, it's directly... if it's It emanates from the same shit that you spew out of your mouth, like, weekly on this fucking show, you know? I'm sorry, that was a very Canadian fuck you, bud. <laughs> um, yeah, I, and it was also just like, 
he did this he had to come up with this whole like explanation and like long winding path to get to the reference to the shooting and like had to you know had to have this long overarching arc before and after it so that it wasn't just like a buffalo shooting question because that can't be the center of the of the like anything it has to be about something else that you know might just briefly touch on that so that he can be like see we covered it or like you know whatever else but also still yeah just dismissive of it like it's so gross it's gross i mean expected i wasn't expecting oh yeah yeah i was expecting them not even to touch it or bring it up so (laughs) it's but it's like even in them bringing it up it's even more gross if they were to just ignore it like it never happened you know so, uh, but we do get Spencer Fernando's response to this weird, long-winded question, and uh, even that is a bit weird. So here's Spencer Fernando. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think you know, with statements like that, you can always tell really how genuine it is by how it's used, right? So if the, the first thing someone says is, you know, there was a horrific, you know, shooting in Buffalo, you know, the ideology of the shooter is horrendous, and we should all oppose it. Completely, I would totally agree with that. It is a horrendous ideology, and anyone who kills people for a political reason that's evil and that should be condemned. If you then use that statement, and then the next thing you say is, oh, and here's why I'm going to try to use this against someone I I disagree with politically, that's when you start to look and say, hmm, that's interesting. That seems a little more calculated than just, you know, know, a wellspring of emotion. Someone wanted to share their views. And so then I think Sheree retweeted that. And so you know, it does get to the point where you're saying, okay, you're, you're trying to take a horrific event in the United States at a time when people are obviously, you know, paying attention to it, their emotions are heightened. You're trying to use that to then direct, you know, people to link that to your opponent. And we're not talking about some sort of corruption scam. We're not saying, oh, here's why my opponent's corrupt and their views are terrible. That's, that's just, yeah, that's, you know, pretty common politics. Here they're saying, here's a guy who went and killed a bunch of people because of their race. And here's why he's similar to someone, a politician I disagree with in, in the country, who in Michelle Rempel-Garner's case happens to be in her party. She didn't explicitly name Paulie, but you can tell that uh, that's that's kind of the, the way they're trying to link it all together, right? This guy's kind of like Pat King. Pat King's in the Freedom Convoy. Oh, Paulie, support of the Freedom Convoy. Therefore, Paulie, like this guy. So it's, you know, uh, it's a very manipulative attempt. I find, like, it's weird. It's weird hearing them go, Oh, it's weird when people use this as like a, a political manipulation. Like you, you took this like this shooting thing, which is like devoid of politics, is completely political neutral. What that shooter did, but he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't say that though. He says <laughs> I thought, it's political. Yeah, that's the implication. Well, I mean, no, he, said like, he, did he specifically it for was like ideology. it was like the shooter. The shooting happened for a political reason, but then it cannot be connected to right. other politics. Yeah, and that's True. the yeah, thing. Yeah. Like, but he like my point is it's almost wanting to make it like neutral. Like I'm not even going to discuss the po- the actual politics of it. Just that anyone who tries to use it politically is there for right. It's like this weird. Yeah. And meanwhile, the only reason Ezra brought this up is to use it politically to talk about Michelle Rempel. So they're doing the exact same fucking thing, <laughs> but like for their own purposes. Like it's just it's so fucking blatant and disgusting it's that whole like response was really interesting just in the sense of like one like you know the admission of like oh 
this dude did this for a political reason and that political reason is disgusting and should be condemned, yada, yada, yada. And then the refusal to interrogate how that person could have reached that position. But then also, like, crap, I lost the other thing I was going to say. But just, you know, the the inability for there to be any sort of, like, introspection in terms of, like, a, hmm, how did this person get to here? Oh, and then the other thing was Pat King. Like, to be like, oh, this dude's similar to Pat King. And they didn't push back on that at all. Which is also interesting, considering that Ezra has been pro-Pat King before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they 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 started to distance themselves from Pat King. But there's also yeah. just the acknowledgement of how much this ideology... Like, he talked about how this ideology is politically bad. Why is it that a lot of these mass shooters like watch rebel content before they go and kill for this particular political ideology? Like, I wonder where they're getting this great replacement political ideology from. It's not like Ezra Levant hosted on his show a video by Faith Goldie that was called The Great Replacement Theory. <laughs> you know, it's like, that was on fucking Rebel News. <sighs> like, so, Is it still up? <laughs> no, I think it's behind it. It's either behind a paywall now or it's completely scrubbed from the thing my guess is after uh what happened in charlottesville they pretty much scrubbed most of faith goldie's stuff from uh their existence that makes sense but like yeah it's like of yeah if you think this is an evil political ideology why are you talking to ezra right now that's (laughs) Mm. you know food for thought but then i also just the last little aside that i thought was silly was the whole thing about uh killing anyone over like a political ideology is evil and i'm just like so like i want to interrogate spencer be like was world war ii bad yes (laughs) jody war is bad we know this what if what if there's nazis marching in the street right now we're supposed to go okay You have to, because if I kill you based on politics, I'm now the evil one. Not you over there, Nazis. I'm the evil one. They're just, listen, Jody, they're just peacefully marching. What what could possibly be the problem? (laughs) Oh, my God. It sucks. Yep. I mean, I had it lastly as, like, a, a stupid hypocrisy gotcha, but, like, every time there was some sort of Muslim extremist that was involved in anything especially the the early days of me doing this podcast he ezra would immediately go from those events to blaming trudeau for being like a terrorist apologist and like so it's like again it's a stupid hypocrisy gotcha but for them to sit around here and be like oh like the left always wants and and those who are like more to the left always use these things for their political manipulations and advantages and it's like you you assholes do this all the time. Not just with also using it in for the Rempel thing, but like, yeah, every time a Muslim extremist does something, they will use it till the end of days. So just worth pointing that out, uh, even though it's facile. <laughs> yeah. So then we finally get to May 17th, the Tuesday, and Ezra wants to talk about the Ontario provincial debate which uh, Viano and I watched on stream. And Ezra's main takeaway is that he's mad they didn't talk about the lockdowns enough. And he's also mad that the new blue party did not have their leader at the debate, but the green party got to have their leader at the debate. 
And the only thing I have to say to that is the the one Green Party who's elected, isn't it Mike Schreiner who is the elected representative? Or is it a different Green Party person who's elected? Pretty sure he's the one who is the MPP. Either way. New Blue has a party. Well, Belinda is uh, an elected MPP, but I guess they stipulated in the rules that because... It has to be the leader. Well, no, they stipulated in the rules that you had to win on that party's ticket. And since she won as a progressive conservative and not a New Blue, that didn't happen. But I also find it weird. And I mentioned this, uh, you weren't there, but it was on stream last night uh, or Friday night, whatever. But they, uh, Jim... Belinda's husband is the leader of the new blue party, even mm. though Belinda is the only sitting MPP. <laughs> yeah. And I just find that so, so weird. And clearly who's, the result of their own like patriarchal beliefs, you know. Who's the Ontario party guy? Because they have a sitting MPP as well, or, you know, did before the election was called. But he wasn't the leader either. Derek Sloan? No, that's he's. But Derek Sloan's the leader. But yeah. um, that other dude that got kicked oh, out, the Rick old Nichols. one that refused... Yeah, Rick Nichols is Ontario Party. Yeah. But yeah, Ezra's mad that neither of them were invited to the party. I mean, he focuses on the New Blue because obviously the New Blue Party is in some sense bigger. They have like more people uh, running. Yeah. So, but anyways, uh, again, like in terms of like a popular vote as well, like the Green Party blows the New Blue Party out of the water, you know? Mm-hmm. Even though like that doesn't translate to them having many seats, they only have currently one MPP. It's still it's like, but he's like we need we need to hear them in the debate. Which I honestly their inclusion probably wouldn't have made it any better. <laughs> what we saw, so it was so bad. Yeah. Oddly enough, the NDP gained some after it. So I don't know. I guess cool. <laughs> Guess that's the least I can say. Cool. Everybody that I talked to that had seen the debate, the debate, which admittedly was like two people beyond us, um, thought that Mike Schreiner, our little mouse king, yeah. uh, won the debate. So I, I honestly, greens forever. I could not. He. He his rage face was just it was permanent throughout the entire debate and looked hilarious to me. I just couldn't take it serious. His eyes were just gonna like burn holes into the back of your skull. And <laughs> for the for the audio listeners, Vieto just duplicated the uh, the eye look. <laughs> but subscribe uh, to our Patreon yeah. to see that. <laughs> but uh, I some people found that appealing. I just I couldn't stop laughing every time it happened. So it it did not. I, I liked some of the things he said. I will go that far. I think, if anything, uh, I think between, like, I, there was a balance, I think, between NDP and Green. Like, sometimes it would flop, not, but they landed a few blows here and there. Uh, Del Duca, I thought, was weird. Weird, uncharismatic, and I thought he was going to, like, turn into a snake and eat someone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that grown energy you know like yeah and doug ford was doug ford i don't know uh, yeah my wife's jewish that's the whole time i can every time he would talk he has that intonation so that's all i was thinking about so that's that's it nothing else really to talk about that then in the interview section ezra chats with sheila gunn reed about uh 
the uh, what is it? The confidence vote uh, for Jason Kenny. So when they recorded this, this was the night of or the night before the confidence vote. And so they didn't actually we, we know some things now and we'll talk about it uh, in in a bit. But I wanted to play this clip because this was Sheila's sort of like impression of what she thinks was going to happen before they had the the confidence vote for Jason Kenny. So, uh, you know, we get the ability to have hindsight here because we know what happened. But at the time of this recording, Sheila didn't know what was going to happen. So let's see how close to reality was Sheila going to be. I think Kenny will win very narrowly. Um, but instead of doing the Ralph Klein thing and and saying, well, I did I did win the leadership review, but it's just not enough for the party to be confident in me. I don't think that's going to be the sort of remarks we're going to hear from Jason Kenney. He's going to say 50% plus one means you all love me and let's move on and fight the NDP. So Vieto, how much of that was accurate? <laughs> the vote thing was accurate. Yeah. That was, he got 51.4% or whatever. And then he was like, peace, y'all, please let me retire. <laughs> and the party was like, actually, no, we're keeping you on temporarily until we have a leadership election. Um, because the party cannot exist without our dear friend Jason. Uh, and by that, I mean the Jason with the mask, not Jason Kenny. Um, now, now, you said last episode that you give them till September before the UCP uh, collapses. She, yeah. Sheila actually doesn't, her impression was that the UCP would collapse if Kenny stayed on as leader, but with him going that they'll still maintain themselves. So I don't know if you agree with that assessment or not, but uh, yeah, I'm curious. What, are, what, what do you think? Do you think him resigning helps or hurts the UCP? I don't think it's either necessarily. Like... Yeah, it, it's difficult because, like, no matter what, the split is coming. But I feel like this quickens it a little bit. Because considering that they couldn't even come up with a temporary leader to lead the party before they have a leadership yep. election, they needed him to stay on. That's a bad sign. Like, that does... A, a stable party does not keep on a leader that has just resigned... <laughs> No, and because I, they don't have anybody else. Honestly, I I changed because like I was a little bit more hesitant to saying the UCP would fall apart uh, last episode, but like listening to both Sheila and Ezra talk this week about it, and they're throwing around all these names, and I'm just like, this is a party in tatters. Like, th there's no glue holding this coalition together now, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, because. I'm just looking at like who has uh, announced that they're going to run for it too, or for the leadership. So far, it's uh, Brian Jean, uh, the former Wild Rose Party leader. Uh, so, you know, one of the founding, you know, it was the Wild Rose Party and the Progressive Conservatives of Alberta that combined to make the UCP. And so Brian Jean is running, uh, and he's extremely far right to say the least um yep. and another former uh wild rose party leader danielle smith had expressed interest in running um and then there's some other 
like Jason Kenney cabinet ministers. So it is kind of just a like who and also like what faction and will you be able to please both factions of the party? And the thing is, Brian Jean lost to Jason Kenney in the original like founding leadership convention for the UCP in 2017. And on the one hand, you know, everything has shifted right over the past couple of years. But does that make them, you know, electable or anything like that too? Because regardless, like polls are showing the NDP is going to come back in a majority government as soon as there's another Alberta election. But also, like, you know, will party members or, you know, elected MLAs, I guess they have, not MPPs, but, you know, are they going to be like, ah, oh, yeah, this is fine. I love to be led by the Wild Rose Party. Probably not, especially considering that they now have the Wild Rose Independence Party as well, yeah. which, you know, Brian Jean might be too moderate for some factions in the UCP now. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and that's the thing, like I talked about, like my worry is that Jason Kenney is a sign of the party moving even more to the right. And that is mm -hmm. like the trends that are happening. But like, I do think it is going to hurt them in the polls too. So it's just this weird a weird confluence of things happening and i and uh yeah i uh solidarity with my uh my left albertans out there i hope <laughs> it's I hope, it's so uh, similar to yeah. what's happening to the federal conservatives right like you know they get in a good god i can't believe i'm about to say this about jason kenny yeah. but a red tory type <laughs> um or, well, you know, a, it's, a, like... it's amazing that kenny and doug ford are seen as like quote-unquote red tory types yeah. All because they believed a pandemic was real. Like, it's so fucked up. Yeah. It's amazing how things have shifted. Like, it's so scary. Um, but, you know, somebody who is at least willing to acknowledge some levels of reality. Right. And, like, exactly. Because I said the pandemic is yeah. real. It's not like they actually did a good job at dealing with it. They just actually believed it was real. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, Kenny, Ford, O'Toole, like, those types. And... You know, they get rid of them and then they fall into infighting because nobody, one, like the far right are not willing to submit to others unless they have like a strong charismatic leader. And right now, none of them really do. And like, they're conservatives. They, you know, they're very fractitious, especially in like Canadian electoral politics. Yep. Splits happen. There's generally two conservative parties. And we're just kind of moving back into that equilibrium. There is a sense in which, compared to America, like our electoral system has kept them at bay to a certain extent. Uh, obviously, not as much as that I, that I wanted to, <laughs> but our system definitely, compared to the United States, has uh, made the infestation uh, less effective in some ways. So yeah, our all our all party consensus is generally pretty like center right. Whereas theirs is a lot more far right yeah, in pretty much everything. So th this episode ends abruptly. And uh, I just wanted to point that out because it is, it is funny. They try to, they, some people pay for their content. Fewer people pay for our content. I don't think I've released an episode where it's in the middle of a sentence and it just ends. So <laughs> I mean, we got to do that now. 
Uh, well, we've done it. Actually, we have done it, but like on purpose as a bit. So we, we have done that bit before, but I, I still love listening to they. And the thing is, it's been up there for like a week now, <laughs> almost a week. And like no one's caught it. No one's brought it to their attention, which tells me that it, uh, a lot of uh, they're able to support what they do because they have large donors in some capacity. My guess. We then get to May 18th, and David Menzies is the guest host. So there's been a lot of guest hosts these last few weeks. So I wonder what is going on. Something is going on that I am not privy to. But Menzies spends most of the episode criticizing Doug Ford. He's upset for a lot of reasons, mostly to do with the lockdown. But also, uh, actually, we'll get to it in a second. So... He's mad at Doug Ford, but then he's talking about how Doug Ford kicked him and Joe Warmington out of an event. And it was a Doug Ford event. They wanted Joe Warmington is a, a Sun Media reporter. Uh, so, again, used to be colleagues with David Menzies when David Menzies and Ezra both worked for Sun Media. Of course, Sun Media, the television aspect, when it went under, that's when Ezra left and started Rebel News with uh, another person who also used work for Sun Media. But uh, here's here's David Menzies responding to being kicked out of this Doug Ford event, okay? Oh, by the way, I would be remiss in mentioning that while Joe Warmington and I were given the bums rush at the Ford Nation event, the same could not be said of the Toronto Sun's Brian Lilly. No, Ivana Yelich welcomed Brian with <clears throat> open arms, given that she is Lily's mistress. Not only is this a blatant conflict of interest, it is, to the best of my knowledge, an undeclared conflict of interest. How can the guy covering Queen's Park be engaged in a horizontal jogging position with the woman who is the premier spokesingy? Well, at least we now know how Lily gets those scoops regarding affairs at Queen's Park. It's simply a matter of pillow talk. What a sordid disgrace. I've never heard anyone refer to sex as horizontally jogging. <laughs> I didn't even understand that as a euphemism for sex. I was just confused. Yeah, <laughs> right? I was just like, weird. Yeah. But uh, Brian Lilly, when I mentioned that Ezra uh, started Rebel with someone, that someone was Brian Lilly. They both left Sun Media to start Rebel News. And the only reason Lilly, who I don't think like a fully left, I think even some of the Rebel News reporters over the years were still like Sun News uh, columnists for the newspaper and like for the uh, online portion of the, the newspaper. But like... It's it's weird to me, for one, this is the first time Brian Lilly has been brought up in this capacity. Like, we've talked about this on the show, mm -hmm. but they haven't. And it's coming out now, and not once does, like, Menzi mention that, like, they used to be colleagues, and that he, Brian Lilly used to be his boss <laughs> for Rebel News. <laughs> Just very, yeah. very weird. I feel like Ezra would have at least brought that up because, like, you know, he talks about how, like, oh, me and Jason Kenny, my my old friend, I I wish we were still good buddies type of stuff. But Dave is just, like, not honest enough about history to do that. Yeah, I don't even know. 
But I don't even know why Ezra doesn't bring it up, unless he feels slighted. So, like, the reason, for those who don't know, the reason why Brian Lilly supposedly left was after Faith Goldie went to Charlottesville. He jumped ship, but he didn't jump ship saying that he was doing it because of the whole Faith Goldie Charlottesville thing. Although, a lot of people were jumping ship back then, so... (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't surprise me. But the reason why he said was because he was joining uh, Andrew Shear's campaign as like uh, a writer of some capacity. Uh, And so it's, it's just like fascinating to me that like, like, I don't know if they want, they wanted to keep that relationship alive or something like that. Cause over the years they've used some of Brian Lilly's like reporting or like reporting they've like talked about his editorials and stuff on the show and supported him especially because brian Lilly has been against the lockdowns and like other stuff uh so i just i don't know why it's being deployed right now by david menzies like i unless david menzies is jealous that like well brian Lilly got to leave and now doug ford lets him into his events (laughs) yeah like you would think they would try to use those connections to maintain any sort of relationship with the mainstream conservatives to like you know unless they tried and they got scorned and that's why he's doing it now or yeah maybe or like they've realized that they'll never like be that far that be that moderate again yeah it's just it's there's just elements of like pettiness here you know yeah uh And so I just, it was worth highlighting even just for that fact alone, but just also weird that like, if, if I, if I didn't know the things that I knew, like I was trying to think of, like, if I was one of the new people who started listening to Rebel once the pandemic kicked in, nothing in there would have like hinted to me that actually Brian Lilly was partly responsible for the fact that I'm listening to this program in the first place, you know? Very, very weird. Very weird. Uh... And yeah, there was like, you know, the, I, I, there is an issue with the mistress stuff, but of course Menzies is going to say uh, some gross stuff about it because he's David Menzies. <laughs> then he, so he ends, David Menzies ends. This is the thing I was going to mention about Doug Ford. So I guess like before Doug Ford became premier, I think there was, was during his mayoral race. He actually went on Rebel News and did a sit-down interview with David Menzies. And in that sit-down interview, Doug Ford pitched the idea of a Ford Nation show where David Menzies was going to be the host. And uh, it's clear to me that it was just a joke. But like almost every time David Menzies talks about Doug Ford, he brings up the fact that this that Ford pitched this show and that he's always just like, I'm still waiting, Doug Ford. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> Could you imagine if Doug Ford had a Rebel News show called Ford Nation? Jesus Christ. And David Menzies was the host? Terrifying. Would that be a better or a worse world? Uh, clearly worse. That would... <laughs> Did he propose that while premier? No, it was. I, I believe it was during his mayoral race, if I'm not mistaken, because he tried to run for mayor of Toronto and failed. See, so, you know, Doug Ford might just be a minor media personality instead of Premier of Ontario. If only he had joined Rebel News. David Menzies suggests that the reason why he backed out of it was because once he started running for Premier, like, his handlers told them not to do it or something. (laughs) So, you know. 
Who knows? Who knows? Menzies then has, uh, or it talks to Avi Yamini, who, again, is a convicted wife-beater who's employed by Rebel News. We talk often, Ezra always brings up how Stephen Gilbeau, the uh, environmental minister for the Liberal Party, is a criminal because he hung a banner saying Bush and Canada are climate killers and was charged for mischief. And he constantly brings that up as a slight against Stephen Gilbeau. And yet... Under his payroll for his company, Ezra has hired someone who was convicted for abusing their wife. Uh, I just think it's worth highlighting that every time I have to utter Avi Yemini's name on this show. So this this is consider that obligation checked. <laughs> Check. Now, what they're talking, why uh, David Menzies has Avi Yemini on is because Avi Yemini has been sent to Davos to cover uh, the World Economic Forum. Now, nothing really gets said in this interview, so we're not going to discuss it, but we will come back to Avi Yemini by the end of this episode. So hang in there. We then move to May 19th, and this was another just like quick, boring episode, but Ezra wanted to talk about Kenny's quasi-resignation that we've kind of already gone over. And he starts off by saying the reason why... uh, So he's trying to explain why Kenny, his best friend, uh, somehow turned out to be an evil globalist type. And his his explanation for this is that billionaires, when they get their money, they like get surrounded by yes men and then their brains break is uh, essentially what he's doing. So he, he sets up the episode about Kenny's resignation and then spends the entire episode talking about like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and how being rich ruins your brain. To, to somehow criticize his friend. And yet it's like Ezra swims in the same circles. Like I don't like I don't know. Yeah. That sure, bud. Yeah. So I, I I don't know. Whatever. I don't care. He then has on for the interview segment this dude from Project Veritas named Mario Balabin. Or Balabin. And He's on because there was this new Project Veritas video where they talked to this Twitter employee who said that Twitter was communist or something. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Project Veritas is famous for doing these like undercover investigations where they videotape people without their knowing it and then uh, edit their footage in ways that takes what they say out of context uh, and releases it. So... I, I don't even want to take this seriously to, to do an investigation. But from what I yeah. understand, even in the interview, is they literally pretended to take this guy out on a date. So it's like nothing he says should be taken. Whoever this Twitter employee is, people lie during dates. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, if he's just, oh, oh yeah, Twitter, totally communist because he's trying to impress his date or whatever. Like, I don't fucking know. Oh, like <laughs> poor Twitter employee. Well, I know. I like yeah. It's just everything about it is so fucking stupid. I hate Project Veritas. So uh, I didn't care to hear what he had to say, let alone investigate it. So uh, that's the end of that. And we get on to May twentieth. And uh, Ezra wants to talk about Melissa Lanceman. Do you remember Melissa Lanceman? I do. Walmart person. Right. Conservative. So- she won her election. She won her election. 
So for those who are unfamiliar, she ran federally as a member of parliament and got elected. She was a conservative. During her, uh, I guess, uh, when she was running for the election, David Menzies went to one of her campaign spots to criticize her both for being an employee of Walmart before joining the campaign, and they blamed her for sort of like being responsible for Doug Ford's lockdown rollout that hurt small businesses but somehow like promoted Walmart, right? Uh, and there might, if anything, out of all the criticisms of Melissa Lanceman, this one probably comes closer to landing an actual blow for something crappy that she did, okay? Uh, but then the other criticism that they had against her was they believed that the conservative party under Aaron O'Toole specifically selected her because she was uh, a lesbian and a woman and could use her like minority status to like win over like liberal voters or some shit. And so he started to, David Menzies started to antagonize her with those questions. Then one of Melissa Lanceman's uh, supporters threw a bottle of water in David Menzies' face. He dropped his clipboard. Then one of Melissa Lanceman's staff took a picture of the clipboard. Then like Rebel News had a whole scandal about how like, Oh, they're they're illegally taking pictures of our notes, <laughs> and it was a <sighs> whole ordeal. Okay, David Menzies ended up being arrested. Uh, a whole ordeal, and now that she's a member of Parliament, let's hear what they have to say about Melissa Lanceman. I hear a lot of debate about Bill Twenty One in Quebec. You might remember that was the bill that imposed a secular nature on the public service, and you can agree with it or not. But that is regarded as the greatest sin in civil liberties in this country. You can see it brought up in the Conservative Party debate. How dare you allow this violation of civil liberties? Namely, that Quebecers don't want any religious symbols on government employees at work. I can frankly see both sides of that. But to compare that to the fact that six, seven million Canadians are banned from traveling because of a government edict that makes no sense scientifically or epidemiologically, and the establishment is fine with that, is atrocious. I'm pleased to say that in recent weeks, namely since the overthrow of the liberal Aaron O'Toole as the party leader, the Conservative Party of Canada is making up for a year of silence on the matter, sort of. Uh, Melissa Landsman, the transport critic for the party, has raised this no-fly list many times in Parliament, and I think uh, she's doing a good job on it. Take a look. This, this, the transfer critic who I've never heard of before now. <laughs> She's doing a good job. They, they She's play the, doing great. they play the clip of her, like criticizing the, uh, no fly, uh, mandate for vaccines or whatever. And it's like, you, you were putting conspiracies on her that she was a part of like the lock, lockdownism. She was the leader of lockdownism by working with Walmart and like. And now she's doing a good job. She's out there fighting the vaccine mandates. So David Menzies really changed her mind. <laughs> I have to also acknowledge of just like the absurdity of like him going Bill, him going Bill 21 is like, oh, I could see both sides of the, the liberty aspects of banning religious symbols from the workplace. But when it comes to vaccine mandates, there are no both sides. It's so clearly a violation of our civil rights. And it's like, serious, bud? <laughs> <sighs> it's like, you know, someone wearing a hijab at a workplace is... Uh, 
I don't know. I, I am personally completely fine with that. Less fine with working beside someone who doesn't believe that vaccines are effective and so refuses to get vaccinated during the spread of a deadly virus, you know? Mm -hmm. One of these things seems a lot more concerning. Uh, it's also worth noting that uh, not only, so not only, not only is he praising Lanceman, they've had portions uh, or like uh, clips of an interview up on YouTube now where one of their employees, uh, Alexa, sat down with Melissa Lanceman and had a one-on-one -on -one interview <laughs> about like fighting the, the vaccines on the airplane. And at the end of this episode, Ezra plays that clip in full. And I'm just like, again, you you accuse her of being this like corrupt insider working for Walmart, the part of the lockdownism. They got the, your reporter arrested. They took pictures of his notes, like all this stuff. And then both both the fact that Melissa was willing to sit down with one of the reporters. Now, I don't know if they hid the fact because like, does Melissa Lanceman know who Alexa is? Or like, I don't know if they like were duplicitous in that, in that Melissa didn't know they were sitting down with Rebel News. Mm -hmm. But I mean, she probably would have wanted to do some due diligence before she sat down with Alexa as well. Like, and the fact that like Rebel News is now just like, oh yeah, sure, no, she's cool now because she agrees with us on a point. <laughs> just <sighs> fucking weird. How quick everything changes. Yep. Now, Jason I, Kenny's a liberal, and Melissa Lanceman is on our side. Yeah, just what a what a wild wild turn of events. I I don't even know in the context of the episode it felt like whiplash, but somehow they go on from talking about Lanceman, and I guess it has to do with like lockdowns and all this fun stuff to to talking about what's going to go on in Davos, and Ezra goes and plays a clip of George Soros, who's uh. In the clip, George Soros says that China's social credit system is bad. And that's pretty much the clip that Ezra plays. And, and I'm sitting here going, why is Ezra playing this clip? Because Ezra hates both George Soros, but Ezra also thinks the Chinese social credit system is bad. So why is he playing this clip? And at the end of like the speech, he he says that like even George Soros thinks Xi Jinping is like ultimately powerful. And then I'm like, are you so did you play this clip to sh to somehow be like George Soros might be bad, but Xi Jinping is like worse or more powerful or something like I have no. I have no clue. And all of this has to do with, again, the World Economic Forum is coming and uh, all the corrupt people are going to sit around talking about the Great Reset. So we got to get our conspiracy hats on, you know? We got to keep those hats on. <laughs> got to make sure they still fit, you know? What if our head's grown? Uh, well, yes, it's swollen from all the uh, microchips in the vaccines, after all. Oh, I was just thinking because our brains are so big, but sure. <laughs> Well, Ezra goes on to talk about it. He, he plays all these clips. He plays one where there's a dude talking about putting microchips in a vaccine. And Ezra's like, that's the kind of thing that'll get you kicked off YouTube and it'll get you censored. But somehow at the World Economic Forum, you could just say this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Ezra, 
the the dude even the clip he plays is like about some theoretical vaccine and it's right it's like there's a difference between just like talking about a hypothetical and like the benefits that might derive from it and like talking about like they're currently putting vaccines and microchips in your vaccines man and they're gonna like mind control you like two two different things (laughs) he also everything in the world is exactly the same yeah he then like starts to fearmonger about trans transhumanism again, which is weird because we talked about this last week again, where he's like, they're create they're creating synthetic human milk, and they're gonna create weird machines and robots and take over the world. And I've noticed like a trend he's been steering in this direction a lot more. Like this is the second week in a row he's mentioned transhumanism, and I'm like, he's this is like starting to trend towards Alex Jones territory. In a way that Ezra has not gone before. So, uh, not sure what to make of that, but there it is. There it is. He then promotes the new docuseries that they're making about the Great Great Reset, which is going to be done with their uh, UK correspondent, Lewis Brackpool. And one of the episodes is up. We might watch it on stream at some point. But, uh, yeah, so he's trying to promote it now, and he plays the trailer... And he's talking about how evil Klaus Schwab is. And then he says this. He really does come across as a Bond supervillain. Like, it really is too much, isn't it? But these are the people who say you will own nothing and be happy. They're the ones who say, eat the bugs. Eat meat made by a machine. They really do say this. Eat meat made by a machine. (laughs) I <laughs> I wonder if like you see any like meat processing plant of just like all these machines operating and he's like oh no the machines have touched my meat <laughs> someone at my mom's workplace has been doing the you'll own nothing and be happy line like it is it's quite widespread in worrying ways could you imagine i want to i we should look it up and maybe do do a bonus or something on it because like it was one little article that some like random nobody wrote and then the world economic forum shared it and like imagine being that person who wrote that article and being like oh my god what did i put out in the world (laughs) i had this idea about a sharing economy and now people are like thinking that this is evidence of some sort of coordinated plan to, like, microchip people and whatever. Wild. Mm. Wild how this stuff spreads. So we then find out that Avi Yamini uh, is being sent to uh, Davos, uh, and they bring up the fact of, like, well, why, why did we go to Davos during an Australian election? Because Avi Yamini is from Australia and usually covers the Australian government and what they're doing. And Avi's explanation for why they're going to Davos is because that's where the real agenda is set. <laughs> so what, what happens at Davos is then that's when the people in Australia like take it on board. And it turns out that like, so at the time, I don't even know like what, what Avi was expecting or what anyone was expecting, but like he makes it out like, you know, Australia is this like barren wasteland of like lockdowns and people are being like tortured by the police and stuff and police suck, but like they're over exaggerating. 
uh, in terms of like what's happening with the lockdowns. And then Australia just elected a <laughs> the, the more liberal party rather than the conservatives. So like, I don't know. I wonder what Avi's going to have to say about that. I got to say like, oh no, the communist labor government is back in Australia. Well, I mean, like, they also get to play this game where they're like, well, clearly it's like the sheeple just, like, bought into it. And, like, the every, like the panic about the pandemic, like, worked in that they, like, manipulated their minds. Where it's like we get to sit back and go, I don't know, maybe people actually took this thing seriously to a certain extent, you know? No, Jody. The silent majority in the country with mandatory voting just yeah. <laughs> didn't get out there and vote. True. They were too intimidated. No, you're right. It was a rigged election. So then they also talk about like the fake buildings. So I guess in uh, in Davos, they set up these like. They they redo this village in a way to make it more like multicultural and stuff like this. And so they create these sort of like facades on the building to like offer like new restaurants and stuff. And the reason why they make them facades is because if like Davos is only going to be there for a couple weeks, it's easier to tear down and then you have the infrastructure there to be used for like other things once they're done or whatever, right? But they make it like, look how fake this entire thing is. And it's like, have have they? I wonder, have they never been to some sort of like conference or like <laughs> festivity? Or a festival yeah. or like. <laughs> festivals are all just fake because they just they have pop up shops that go away when the festival's done. It's yeah. all it's all it's all conspiracy, Vienna. It's all connected. <laughs> the globalists they set up tents and they sell small trinkets and other wares that you can take home. <laughs> the globalists have set up a snow cone machine. <laughs> I mean, this is this is also like one of my favorite clips for this fucking week. So they Ezra describes what his uh, staff is doing in Davos and I I just fucking love this stuff. They're not there to chase down conspiracy theories. Because there's a difference between conspiracy theories and conspiracy facts. They're there to get the facts. And the thing about a lot of these facts is Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Harari, they say them to you. They say them out loud. They say them out loud. Why do you need people to go there to uncover the facts when they say them out loud? And... Is it a conspiracy if the plans are open and not secret? <laughs> Aren't those just facts? Like, why are they conspiracy facts? They're just facts. <sighs> it's not a conspiracy if you're like, this is what my plan is, and here's how we hope to accomplish it. That's not a conspiracy. That's a fucking plan. Listen, they wanted... <laughs> Avi had enough vacation hours saved up, but Ezra really didn't want to pay out, so they turned it into a work trip. Well, they, they've sent a bunch of, so they, they sent Avi and uh, and Lewis, who's doing the, the docu-series thing. And I think there was a couple other people that they've sent. They also sent, uh, or 
they booked like a house or a hotel or something that had extra rooms. So they actually got in contact with the, the people at the Blaze TV. So that's Glenn Beck's network. And so some of his employees are now like with them all in the same like hotel room and they're going to make like a fun experience over it or some shit. So this is the international conference for <laughs> right-wing media news. <laughs> all- media groups is happening in Davos at the same time as... And you know what they're going to do when they get there is they're just going to heckle these fucking billionaires. And so part of me is just like, let them heckle. Like, I don't fucking care. But like, like they're not actually going to do any reporting. Their sole point to be there is to get those like gotcha moments of like, hey, Bill Gates, you suck. And the Bill Gates will be like, see ya. They'll be like, <laughs> hey, Bill Gates, you suck. Swiss military instantly executes them. Yeah. <laughs> like- well, that was that was the other thing is they kept up being like, look at look at how like cons- like they're they've got police walking the streets, the police are walking the streets, and therefore it's like a military state, and they're gonna just like crack down on everyone or something, and it's like, no, it's an event that has security. That I mean, like, granted, fuck the police. It's just like. Do you think that Davos and the World Economic Forum would throw this event and then just be like? Who needs security? <laughs> Let's Good luck, guys. Yeah. Let the right-wing nut jobs just fucking have free reign with the city. Like, let's go. It's Swiss Second Amendment time. Bill Gates, I hope you brought your <laughs> AR-15. Uh, good luck. Oh. Now, speaking of whiplash, so that's that's their World Economic Forum coverage crap. But then immediately, the interview to end the Friday show blew my mind the 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 interview itself nothing is said in it that is worth discussing at all but the guest is conrad black the convicted fraudster who uh (laughs) used to own the national post and is just an overall shitty human being there was a recent big shiny takes episode actually where they read one of conrad black's articles and uh He's a piece of shit. Like, let's let's just be real. So it doesn't surprise me that he goes on Ezra's show. It just is like, Conrad Black is a big name. So like, in terms of like, right-wing shittery. So it, it does sort of surprise me that he stooped to like, Ezra's level. But then, it also hit me. I don't know like a ton about Conrad Black, but I'm just like, Conrad Black, you know, lots of money, was a media conglomerate owner, owned a bunch of media properties. And I was like, how much do you want to bet that he's involved with the World Economic Forum? (laughs) So I immediately looked online, and he is indeed someone who has been a member of the World Economic Forum, has attended many of their events, has spoken at many of their events, has even worked as like a, he was like the leader of the media group at Davos for a while in, in coordinating the stuff that goes down at World Economic Forum and has praised the World Economic Forum. <laughs> and then Ezra immediately after doing like the big conspiracy shit is sitting down with someone who would fit his definition of the quote unquote media party for owning a bunch of fucking like mainstream newspapers. And then is also someone who's, uh, I don't think he's directly involved with the World Economic Forum anymore, but someone who's at least supported them and has worked with them in the past is now on the show uh, right after he was talking about all these grand conspiracy narratives. So what is it? Is Conrad Black in here doing like 
He's spying for the World Economic Forum, getting the inner scoop of <laughs> getting the inner scoop on Ezra. <laughs> or is all of this just a bunch of bullshit and doesn't mean anything? Mm, who could say? I don't think Rebel News has ever put out any bullshit. <laughs> and the thing is, I don't even think any of their fucking audience is going to like th- sit there for two seconds. They they probably if if they even know who Conrad Black is, they probably only know him as the the dude that Trump pardoned, and that's it. Probably don't know anything about his fraud, anything about his connections, anything about the fact that he owned and worked. Uh, Writes, he still writes for the National Post, in fact. Uh, but uh, none of this matters. Yes. It's he all... has a lot of published books. Um, he is sitting in the House of Lords still in the UK. I think they stripped him of his Order of Canada, though, after the fraud case. I could be wrong on that, but I think that happened. Or at least it was discussed, even if it didn't happen. But I think it happened. Um, yes, he was removed in 2014. There you go. Fuck you, Conrad Black. <laughs> You got it. I just, I think the overarching theme of this episode was very weird, but it was like, to me, like what stuck out was just like the tenuous relationship of these conservative figures. And it's like amazing to me that like how on a, on like a whim they can be your best friend to your enemy. So like Jason Kenney used to be a best friend. Now he's an enemy. Melissa Lanceman used to be an enemy. Now she's a best friend. Uh, World Economic Forum rich billionaires who are likely conservative, they're my enemy, except for the one who wants to come on my show. He's a friend. <laughs> like, what is going on, you know? Conrad Black writes columns for the Epoch Times? Doesn't surprise me. Wow. He's fallen gong. For the Falun Gong. <laughs> I was trying to make a falling for the Falun Gong pun, and I couldn't do it. Yeah. Could not do it. But, uh, you know, uh, someone who writes pretty, like, pro-genocide columns in terms of the indigenous people for the National Post does not surprise me that he supports a fascist movement by writing for their newspaper. No, I'm just... I don't know. It's interesting how much like crossover there is specifically with like the National Post and the Epoch Times. Well, like Barbara Kay also writes for them a lot, right? Yeah, I don't know. Just, huh. They noted they hate. I mean, so the I should say the only thing that they discussed why Conrad was on was because Conrad was on to talk about uh how he likes the leaders in the conservative leadership race. Uh, he didn't pick a favorite. He didn't say who he's like gunning for, or who he hopes to win. He just talks about how he likes them all and thinks they have like a good slate or something like this, which is why it like wasn't that interesting uh, to talk about. But some of the stuff that Dub does come up is things like, yeah, uh, the big name conservatives in this country want a... Uh, war or at the very least a cold war with china that's that's what they want it's the same narrative we get all the time on this fucking show and uh i mean it was light on the china coverage i think this week but even last week they had gordon chang on talking about how like the war in ukraine means that china is now going to invade taiwan and like yeah just constant and every time they talk about jean charret 
Huawei gets brought up because Jean Charest once worked with Huawei and one of the Michaels should run for conservative leadership and one of the Michaels should run for liberal leadership. <laughs> you know the we, all party Michael consensus. We should have like a, a dual dictatorship, but only with the two Michaels and they can <laughs> Our two beautiful special boys will lead us forever. <laughs> Like, why, why bother having an election when we could just have our two Michaels forever? Exactly. So, right when I clicked the outro music, Vienna's internet died. And I can't get them back. I, I think Vienno told me... Oh, Vienno, are you back? I am, but I had already pressed stop recording, so... Well, I could just use your audio from my end. We'll do, like, a, a special... Your audio will just sound bad for the outro. But did you have an article? <laughs> okay, so before the internet died, I said, I got fucking nothing for this week. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you have electricity, savor it. That's it. That's what I got. Have fun. Awesome. Go outside. <laughs> and if you if you have internet and you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a Discord set up. We do Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find videos on our YouTube channel, and you can find all the links in the show notes of the episode. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at, uh, at masontickle.com. He had an older project that was called striadam.bandcamp.com. And I constantly, because I got used to that, I constantly want to go into it. But uh, just masontickle.com. Thank you for listening. And Jason Kenny, you canceled. Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are yeah. your wheat fields?